0: It was just one of those moments in your life where you're presented with two paths to take.
1: That's the sweet spot. It's what I like to call
2: swag and substance.
1: The idea got bigger and bigger and bigger the more people we kind of brought into it.
0: I'm Jeremy Schumann.
1: And I'm Roe Colinaros.
0: And this is the cheat sheet for your career from the top marketing talent behind the world's biggest brands.
1: We reveal the discoveries that kickstarted breakthroughs in their careers
0: and share the timeless wisdom from their legendary CMO mentors
1: to leave you with tactics you can use today to propel your career to new heights. This is the career advice you wish you had years ago.
0: This is Marketer Momentum. Marketer Momentum.
1: Today we are thrilled to be joined by Corey Bernstein, Senior Director Strategy United Soccer League and formerly Director Marketing and Business Strategy at Minor League Baseball. And also I hear an adjunct professor for some very lucky students.
2: Hopefully they're learning from me. But thank you, Ro and Jeremy, for having me on. So on the on the professional side, it's all been about sports marketing and, and leveraging that to really bring all walks of life together. But as we'll soon find out, you know, passion point for me is teaching as well. So I've been lucky to have been teaching at the University of South Florida, teaching sport marketing specifically for the last three years and have had more than 100 plus students come through and really try to reimagine what was a traditional, quote unquote, academia and program and classroom structure. So that's a little bit of a side hustle.
1: I know now we all wish you would have been our professor back in the day (laughs) when we were slogging through college.
2: Yeah, slogging through. It's amazing. You know, One of the things I've taken away is I just put myself in their shoes of how can you actually show that you want to make them better people in addition to the next sports business, Rising Stars? And that was a very intentional effort from the jump to make them feel included, work on self-awareness, work on those intangible skills but then also give them real world projects working with a lot of local sport organizations to put them in positions to succeed and learn. So it's been a jump. I would love to have you as students and also professors as well. So I'm enjoying every second of it. You, you definitely have a gift for mentorship, but also just offering
0: value to everybody. It's funny because I connected with you late in the program when everybody had already told me about you. They're like, oh, not only does Corey have a super badass job in sports marketing, but you're the homecoming king of the class this year. Everyone's like, Corey's so endearing. He's so kind. He gave me all this advice. So we'd love to see that you're passing that on throughout the industry, but also to the rising generation as well. And diving right into sports marketing, that's kind of a dream industry for so many people, right? The idea of working in sports and not only just working in sports, but doing the marketing behind sports. like That's got to be one of the most fun jobs in the world. And I think a lot of people have that question of how do you break through into an industry like that? So what was a breakthrough that helped you land in the sports marketing industry?
2: Well, I have to revisit that Homecoming King thing, (laughs) (laughs) but I appreciate, appreciate the sentiments there. So... Getting into any industry, I think, requires a couple of things. One is having the curiosity to actually learn the business. And that could be through trades. That could be through podcasts like this. That could be networking with folks that are in the industry. And a tactic that helped me out in some tactical advice I tell my students and team is going for that C-suite level, but also balancing out for maybe some entry level or manager or account director. Because you'll get to learn from the C-suite what is, how they're thinking about the business holistically. But then also you get to see, you know, maybe some people that are in the day-to-day in the trenches doing the work to help build the business and execute things. So for myself, I was fortunate. I'm one of three boys. We call ourselves the Bernstein Bears, in which we were severely disappointed that book Empire wasn't ours. But I grew up around the game and I played in college. I played baseball in college. And so I had a, always a passion for the sport, but that was only from the player side. So I went to grad school at the University of Central Florida. And I think that was a really probably a, a critical breakthrough moment, Jeremy, for me, where under the tutelage of, of Dr. Richard Labchik, who, for those who don't know, listening, definitely Google him as the racial conscious of sport, as people like to say. So there at the grad program, at the DeVos program, I not only met incredible people, colleagues that actually work with me now but also learning more of the nuances of the business and using that as a kind of a catapult for myself to meet with then the CEO and CMO of MILB. And through serendipitous moments and just through hard work and grit, came to break through in a newly created position at MILB to try to reimagine what is an organization that's been around for 100 years. So a little bit of a, a twisty and, and turny road, but leveraging my passion for sports putting myself in positions to succeed, and I think building a community along the way certainly served me well.
1: That's amazing. And you mentioned coming into this new function, this new role in the organization. What was it like to hold the tensions between a legacy organization that's been around for 100 years and building this new function where you have to keep that but push the industry forward?
2: Yeah, younger person coming into the organization, you kind of want to jump in and and change the world, right? So I think a big takeaway for myself and and what I would tell others getting into the space, especially at an entry level, is understanding patience, but also realizing and being empathetic for where people are in the organization. Because at MILB, again, you had people there for 30 plus years and a lot of legacy and a lot of tradition. And also, With sports marketing, it's this incredible nexus of culture and lifestyle and technology and a lot of innovation that happens. And so as a business, you need to capitalize on those. So specifically to the question, I think it's balancing and leveraging what makes the brand true. For MILB, it was all about family. It was all about community. It was all about fun. I mean, there are some teams named the Jumbo Shrimp and Trash Pandas, which is a raccoon. But also, how can we be innovative? And one of those areas was through multicultural inclusive initiatives, having an aspirational vision to have all stakeholders rally behind. So it's taken a little bit of both. But I think empathy was a big one to understand where people were coming from. But also, how can we lead with a purpose-driven mission to get everyone behind for the new direction?
1: That's yeah, amazing because I think that empathy that you have for the organization and the people who have been there translates to having that empathy for your consumers, for the fans.
2: For sure. I mean, again, I, I don't want to go too much into it, but like MILB, with all of our clubs, 160 of them at the time, you know, it covered 81% of the US population. So whether it's at MILB or USL or any organization in sports, You got to look at that reach and scale as an opportunity, but I think a responsibility to use your voice, to use your stadiums, to use your brand to be as inclusive as possible. And I think a, a tremendous amount of work has been done. There's still a lot more work to be done on that. But how can your stadium be a front porch of the community and along with that? So empathy for your stakeholders, but also for your fans, as you mentioned, Ro. I love that. And how did you evaluate
0: making the jump from sports as you recently jumped from baseball to now soccer? Was there a lot of thought that went into making that jump? Or what kind of motivated that change? And does it tie back into that idea of of purpose and leveraging your different platforms?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think it goes back to probably a personal mantra, which is family first, builder, and forever student. And so looking at a new position, I was at MILB for close to seven years, looking at if this will help support me and support my family, builder in terms of building myself, building my career, and building a business, and then a forever student, taking the mindset of that curiosity and student of the game where there's always something to learn from someone or some experience. And as I walked through that point of difference, MILB, we were able to build something incredible But now in soccer, there was a lot of similarities, but also opportunities for me to stretch myself. So getting exposed to new areas of the business. And I like to say there's new challenges, new people, new sport, but same mission is to work with incredible people and and do amazing things. So as I told you before the call, I'm getting my soccer lingo down. The word pitch, since I was a pitcher in baseball, means something entirely different in soccer. So I'll be relying on you, Jeremy and Roe, for a little support. But bullish on the opportunity to help feed into my personal mantra and what I believe will fulfill me, but then also doing it with really incredible people.
1: Yeah, you talked a lot about those values and inclusion and purpose, and you are active in other communities outside of just your work in pushing those things forward. When did you come to the realization that that was important to you and that you could affect change through your
2: work? Again, I'd, I'd probably go back to the the grad school moment with Dr. Lapchick, in which, again, human rights activists was helped supportive of the boycott of South Africa during the apartheid and, and worked very closely with Nelson Mandela. But again, playing the game, that's very much a probably a myopic view or, or one singular view of of the power of sport to bring people together. And so I took that lesson from grad school. And I think at MILB, one big thing that we did was for the Hispanic and Latinx community, and also for the LGBTQ community. No one had our scale. No one is probably more ingrained with the community than we were at the time. And we launched MLB Pride, which was an amazing initiative that spanned the entire year, because Jeremy and Roe, as you know, Pride Month's great, but there's also 11 other months to how to engage with the consumer. And so we had the largest Pride celebration in all of sports ever, with more than 70 clubs, doing community outreach, doing content series, doing some type of integration. And there was a lot of stories across the country in which our clubs sent us thank you notes. We received thank you notes from our fans and from all stakeholders. So those were critical moments that you realize you're building a business, yes, but there's ways to go about it and to do the right thing. And and again, intentionally harnessing that platform, I can't repeat that enough to drive some positive impact.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And I think that's a testament to why you were at MLIB for seven years. That's a long time for especially younger people to be somewhere. How did you move up the ladder while you were there?
2: Yeah, it's one of the takeaways. And again, with 2020, it feels like it was a a hundred year tenure. But one of the things, big thing for myself is I realized the importance of having a strong network laterally below, quote unquote below for for my uh, direct reports, but then also above. And when Dave Wright, my former boss, who's now the chief commercial officer at the US Soccer Federation, that was a critical moment for myself because he came in and you had someone that was a sponsor that provided opportunities for you to get a seat at the table, but also empowered you to make decisions. That was big. And so I was able to spread my wings and and forever grateful for, for his leadership. The other thing I realized is if you're talented, if you are going about your business the right way you do really great work and you're in a high growth organization there's going to be opportunities for you so how do you position yourself for success and for me and this is something I learned from my adweek mentor but in any organization you got to find what's the center of gravity like what are what are the key business functions that will drive the business and has a critical role in everything that the organization does and at MLB at the time it was commercial partnerships and marketing so I inserted myself into that, helped build incredible initiatives with the team. But all those things culminating together of, of what led to personal growth and, and professional growth.
0: I love that. And I love that your Adweek executive mentor helped with that a little bit as well. So diving into that, who was your Adweek executive mentor and what advice from them impacted your life and career the most?
2: So again, I, I, in 2020, we've all been through ups and downs. And I think this uh, this ad week executive mentee program has has definitely been a bright spot, if not the brightest, for myself and obviously led to great relationships with you two and countless others. But that mentor of mine, Kenny Mitchell, so the CMO of Snap, and if you know him, you know what I'm about to say. If you don't believe the hype. So he had a tenure with NASCAR, with PepsiCo, with Gatorade, with McDonald's. And now, with snap, and so we we instantly clicked because he understood the sports marketing world, and now on the tech side and product side, he was able to speak to that again that nexus of sport and technology so there's countless lessons there's a great Adam Grant quote that basically said, "The best way to learn from a mentor is is not to absorb what they know, but mainly how to internalize how they think and I really dove into that with Kenny so A couple of things that bubble up is, one, personal reputation. We talked about that a lot. He boiled it down to three things and made it very simple. It's the work you do, the way you behave, and the way you treat other people. And that really resonated with myself on how to lead, how to manage a team, but also try to be cognizant and self-aware of how others might be perceiving me and how I'm perceiving myself. The other one that I'll probably mention is, and this helped me out with my transition to the USL, is really focusing on the transferable skills along the journey. So for him, again, he went from product to sport property, back to the marketing world. And now again, back on the product side, all along the way, every step that he had, he was making sure that he was learning something new, but he was also put in positions to succeed based on his strengths. So again, I can't thank him enough. He's a good friend and we've really hit it off and forever a lifelong mentor of mine.
1: And in that transition, you were in looking at those skills, you went to a challenger brand. You talk about how you, how you love a challenger brand. Can you tell us more about that and what drew you to that opportunity?
2: Yeah, again, this, this is probably dumb luck or just maybe short-sightedness, but a thing I learned on pretty early was even in college and in, in baseball, I, I wasn't the best. Right, I wasn't getting drafted in the first or second round and and throwing 98 off the bump. But I realized I had to work hard at it. And I found a lot of satisfaction, fulfillment in doing that. And so I carried that throughout my career. So whether that would be MILB, in which I was employee number three in this new marketing, media, and sales agency, to teaching. This was a new class that had never been taught. So building it from the ground up. And now a USL, which is very much Challenger and, and I would say on-the-rise property, that you have your fingerprints on a lot. And for myself, being able to stretch but also have a lot of influence along the way is really important. And so currently, that Challenger brand, that chip on your shoulder, I think it's not for everyone, but over the course of my career, early career so far that gratification of sitting back and realizing what you've been able to build, looking back one, two, three, five years, is a pretty special moment.
0: I love that, and I've always been attracted to uh, challenger brands myself, and it's that idea of victory is a thousand times sweeter when you're the underdog, right? When nobody saw you coming, or you're punching above your weight. And I think, I mean, that's something I align with as well, of like, I wasn't the top player on my teams, but if we can work together and surprise people, that's the energy we all kind of live for. I love the way you approach your career being people first and also just looking to have an impact in a, in a category that's ready to be disrupted. Going deeper into that, what is some traditional career advice that you disagree with? What's something you view differently than most people? I think 2020 has been,
2: again, it, it's one thing to to look at it as probably most, but it's also been a pretty positive thing. One in particular would be not being human at work or or having this multiple identity. And to that point, I completely understand and empathetic to those people that they're in a culture potentially that doesn't maybe embrace their authentic selves. But for me as a manager of a team, I think 2020 has really exposed the fact that you have to lead with empathy. You have to create an environment where people can bring their authentic selves and their superpowers to work. And sometimes if you're on Zoom or Teams or insert technology service here, there's gonna be times where you can't compartmentalize your work from home life because that line is is blurred. And so I think not being able to bring yourself to work was one traditional quote unquote career advice I'd probably disagree with as a manager and as an employee. The other one is job hopping is is always a bad thing. So I completely understand certain circumstances where that probably warrants a little bit of a investigation or just more contextual learning about the discovery for the person. But in today's day and age, both of you know, next generation employees are looking to uh, work with companies that mirror up to their personal values, right? And you don't want to be in a position that you have to compromise yourself for what you believe in. So I think the job hopping stigma. If you're able to tell the story behind it, I think is something that will hopefully go by the wayside because you shouldn't stay working someplace that makes you miserable, right? And I think this next generation of really putting those values first versus a lot of other could be pay, could be benefits, that camaraderie and that, I think, purpose-driven mindset is something that's probably going to stay for for the time being.
1: Yeah, as someone who's been at a company for five years now, I understand both sides of the coin there.
2: Oh, for sure. Well, how do you approach it, Ro?
1: I mean, I think it, it's ladders back up to what you said. It's constantly evaluating your purpose and the things that matter to you and whether you're being fulfilled, whether you're learning at your job, whether you have that opportunity to continue to to grow. And so you definitely hit the nail on the head there. I think that constant evaluation is what a lot of people need to hear right now.
2: Yeah. And, and that and there's an exercise I do with my team is keeping tabs on what what is making them motivated, but also what's important to them. So, someone who's coming in as a young, recent graduate or entry level, what makes them tick might be different now that they're married or have a house or expecting a kid. So, I think as a manager, being able to keep tabs uh, on what makes your employees tick on a personal one to one level is super important. And and again, leading with purpose and empathy and, and just managing expectations. So that that's something that I've instilled. It was a lesson I needed to learn, but something I'm carrying forward.
1: How do you personally keep tabs on on your... Well, I feel like keep tabs is an interesting way to put it. How do you personally keep up to date with what your employees want and need and how they're feeling? Because it seems people are open with you. I mean, we feel very open with you and comfortable with you.
2: Well, that's great. I think it goes back to just being genuine and, again, being authentic, where the reason I'm asking, how are you really doing, or can you tell me about this, and how can I support, or how can we get better together, I think it's coming from a place where I'm not looking at it, what's in it for me. And I think truly taking a vested interest in getting to know people. And we can talk about work at work, obviously, but even more so getting to know them as people and to find their passion points and to make their truly experience worthwhile. So I, th- I think it's, it's very much providing value back to that person, first and foremost, and not expecting anything in return.
0: Well, I, I love the way this conversation has turned because I think if there's anything that 2020 has taught us all is it's made us all realize that we really need to get sharp on what matters to us and who matters to us professionally, culturally, and then in our own lives of where we're netting out. And I think it's making everybody evaluate where are they with their views on the world, where are they in their relationships, and where are they professionally, right? And if you're not somewhere professionally that really fulfills what you really care about and what you really want to do, it's time to evaluate, or even more so as a leader, diving into what are those answers for your employees and how can you build your team around that?
2: Yeah, I would agree. And I have a lot of friends now that, you know, sports... Live events was was hit pretty hard, obviously, with with the pandemic. I was just on the phone with a former colleague and she was laid off, unfortunately, but it actually provided her an opportunity to start her own business that she's been thinking about for a long time now. And if she was never laid off, it, it begs the question, would she have ever launched that organization or that company? And so I, I think, Jeremy, to your point, it, it's really a time to self-reflect and use this moment in time to maybe chase what you're after. For yourself, your new job with Instagram, that was a passion point. And it wasn't a a short journey, but going back to the challenger brand thing, it it will be worthwhile at the end of the day. So I understand people are in all different situations and socioeconomic filters as well. But really, I think that's an important thing to chase what you're after.
0: Well, I kind of love that. And that actually pivots into my next question of what's one thing you challenge people to do differently after hearing your story? What's your creative dare for the marketing industry?
2: Creative dare. I would say, and what I love this community so much about is is we're cultural influencers or we all have a platform. We all have a superpower. And the dare would be to lean into those, to build something special, to be a force for good and to tell your story, even if it doesn't meet the quote-unquote majority or status quo. So banking on that that you'll be right in the long term, but you will be right because if it's true to you, that's kind of all that matters. So be kind, be human, be bold. Well, I, I love that. And it kind of dives into like really get specific about what you want
0: out of life, what you want out of the industry, kind of what you were saying earlier, and then double down on it and, and swing for that and act on it. So I think your whole point of view is really resonating with me of Heading into the new year, these are all areas I want to focus on of number one, what what do we really want? What impact are we aiming to have on our industry, at our job, in the lives of the people we care about? And then going deeper on that advice specifically is use your platform, tell your story to really bring that to life. I think this is exactly what we need to hear going into the new year.
1: What's your superpower in one word? What's my superpower?
2: Oh boy, Ro, you put me on the spot here. I know. Yeah, definitely wouldn't be throwing fastballs or getting strikeouts, but I would say emotional intelligence to the degree of really learning about someone and and being able to provide value and just kind of being a good listener, which comes in a lot of different forms. But I would like to believe that superpower to be able to talk to people, be able to listen and be able to act upon and provide value to them. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but hopefully some of that resonates. I'll vouch for that. (laughs) Okay, good.
1: That definitely resonates. I haven't met one person that has anything like even neutral to say about you. It's always good.
2: Well, they are on hefty retainers as well. So it's all part of the process.
0: (laughs) I feel like all your advice is just so like wise and you have this great sharp view on life. So rewinding a little bit, going back to Corey, kind of starting in his younger careers, right? Like straight out of college, what advice would you give to your younger self in this industry? What is something that you wish you could have told yourself back at the beginning?
2: A lot of things. So I'll probably boil it down here to a couple. One as I mentioned is when you go into an organization, sometimes we find fault and just kind of being very myopic and thinking about just our specific vertical. I think if I were to go back again, I would take a vested interest in a proactive stance to learn all the different business verticals. So finance, legal, media, creative, strategy, marketing, partnerships, because at the end of the day, that will allow me to become smarter and also be able to build authentic relationships. So when we try to push things forward, we know that we are being empathetic and putting ourselves in their shoes, but also building stronger strategies together. So I think for my for my younger self, and even now I'm going through it too, I think that's just a strategy that that needs to be developed especially starting out early. The other one is I think more focus on the self and that could be self-awareness in terms of understanding your strengths and potentially how others perceive you, self-health on the sports world it it could be a grind and even in the agency side or brand side as you guys can attest to it can run a toll on you. But then also self-development. So thinking about what skills you possess Uh, And then maybe any opportunity gaps that you need to double down on. So more focus on the self. And then lastly, I think, Jeremy, to your point, is 2020 has allowed us to meet new people, maybe in a virtual way. But I think for my younger self, I needed to be more intentional about my network. And that could change throughout your career, but really focusing on the makeup of your community and your network. So that could come in the form of diversity. Race, gender, sexual orientation, people with disability, age, experiences, whatever. But then also in maybe industry or seniority. So I think very being intentional about that versus maybe having a, a homogeneous type of network is something that I I would have put more effort into uh, when I was starting out. Yeah, it's all solid advice that I think I need right now in my career. So I'm, I'm soaking it all in. <laughs> yeah, I've, I haven't mastered it either, my friend. So these are all things that I'm going through.
1: No, that that really resonates, especially because this, if we're trying to market to such a diverse consumer, that, that starts in your own home. It starts with the people that you talk to, the things that you consume. And so that's really powerful.
0: That is super powerful. I think that's something a big learning, if I could go back to my younger self, was to do that earlier, right? I mean, I came, I grew up in kind of a white little bubble and I need to be really aware of that. And I've slowly gathered friends that we have their relationship that number one, if I'm misstepping, they'll call me out. So at first that it was that. And then number two is like, now I literally double check of like, Hey, I'm thinking of this or saying this, does this feel right? And like, and literally you're not aware of your, your blind spots because they're your blind spots. Right. So having, and building those friends that aren't just colleagues, but friends that can help you course correct throughout your career is something that's super valuable and super important this year of all years.
2: Yeah. I I would say a great example of that, Jeremy, is I think, again, the ad Week program. You have two hundred plus of some of the the most brilliant, creative, but I think humble people in which I personally, and evident by us to talking today, have met a ton of of new people that will be lifelong friends, but also they bring something different to the table. And that could be work related, that could be personal branding, that could be, Who's the new hot artist, music wise? So fulfilling different things, but I think this network and this community has has laddered up to what I just mentioned of diversifying your network and being intentional about
0: it. Totally. And I think the the program is such a huge opportunity for that. And we'll invite everybody to apply. I think the next round of applications are coming in soon. But also to challenge everyone of like, yes, the the program's competitive to get into, but find those people in your lives, whether they're colleagues or professional people or even even just leverage social media for that. i like, well, who are other people in your industry? You need to learn more of those perspectives, diversifying your feeds or or finding your friends on Twitter. I'm really lucky that I have this Twitter crew of marketers from all different points of view and different backgrounds that I go to for everything now. And we met on Twitter. I haven't even met any of them in, 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 in real life, but we talk every day and I'm like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? So I think this is the year where we should all really diversify our feeds and our networks to really help us grow
2: and identify those blind spots. I love that.
1: Yeah. And where can our listeners find you on social media? Where can they hear more from you?
2: Yeah. So I'm not as extroverted as Jeremy. So LinkedIn would probably be the best bet. Awesome. Corey, thanks so much for your time today. I think you hit on
0: so many things that are so, so timely right now because of the year we've had, but also just sharing your, your awesome view of the industry and your come up in the world of sports. It's been really fascinating and your job and your life still just sounds so fun from like teaching on the side to working in sports. It's like both those really appeal to me. So thanks for sharing a peek into your world today.
2: Yeah, I appreciate you both. Thank you, Adweek. But most importantly, Jeremy and Roe, appreciate the conversation. Thanks.
1: Marketer Momentum was produced in partnership with Julian Lewis and TJ Bonaventura from StudioPod.
0: Thanks for tuning in. We know you're making good on those creative dares. So share with your friends and tweet at Adweek with hashtag marketer momentum.
1: And if you have nice things to say about us.
0: Only nice things though.
1: Write us a review on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your
0: podcast. Also special thanks to Adweek.